Just a quick content warning before the episode begins. This episode does feature strong language and details of various forms of abuse. All the suspense for that. Dude, the guy who actually says that line is sweating right now. Because he's like, oh no, my job. Oh, what's his name, too? He's um, He plays the other Ron in Parks and Rec, like yeah, the hippie Ron. I know exactly who you're talking and about. And he's also in the um, the ranch. Crap, what is his name? He has like, the most distinct mustache of all time. Oh, I don't know what his name is, but I know who you're talking about. Well... Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gems of History podcast. Not sponsored by the Banquet Beer, but maybe one day. Yep, promptly sued. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys are all doing well out there. Uh, I am your host, Jacob Shop, and joining me as always, I have Mark Steinbrenner. Hello. And Evan Roosh. Howdy. <laughs> That's just going to be my voice from now. character voice, now, yep. So, yeah, well, you created a monster, so I, get ready for I, the next... You uh, kind of created your own monster because you were the one that brought it up. Well, Mark, well I was about to say. <laughs> Mark, Mark said it, yeah, but you started it with the voice. So. Oh, yes. Sorry, so. I just have this deep, raspy voice. I guess. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yes. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Doing fine, doing fine. Um, ask me at 9.45 after the Bucks game. We'll uh, we'll see then, but... No, dude, the... game game one was the only time the Bucks lost where I was like, not we're even fine. worried. Yeah, that was not a fluke. Not worried. I think we were too hyped up from... Oh, gosh. It was a yeah. letdown game, all right? Well, and plus, like, we didn't play the starters, like, our key players quite a bit. Like, Jeff Teague saw time. Yeah. That was pretty Bobby much Portis had double-digit points almost. Like. Yeah. Hey, Bobby P. Yeah. Good to see him back in the lineup, right. though. We don't have time to do an, uh, a whole episode on the Bucks game, but real quick. We should just take screenshots of our Snapchat conversations. <laughs> <during the> game. <laughs> Trey Young scored 48. Middleton went 0 for 9 from 3. And anyone who watched the game. The Bucks had three boards they gave up in the last 35 seconds that would have sealed the game. Boards, mind you. Just rebounds, and the game would have been over. Yep. All of that had to happen for them to win by three. So yeah. everyone just calm the F down. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, pretty sure we gave up six offensive <clears throat> rebounds in the last three possessions for them, yes. and we still barely lost. I know. Game. I know. So just Middleton will never be that bad. We'll rebound better than the small team. There's no Connaughton way. Middleton won't have the last shot. Yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, that was right. so fun. Like, that was so bad. <laughs> we were just watching the game, and we we're like, Connaughton? Yeah. And there's just, that he airballed it. Yeah, there's just no way that Trey Young did, puts up KD numbers every night either. Like mm-hmm. that's no, not gonna happen. That so. said, he looked really good. Yeah, Holy dude. cow! The, the the shimmy was disrespectful. It was. His he, game I, looks good. He looks like Mr. Tumnus. He looks like a goblin. 
What's with the hair? Is that it? I mean, if I hope you're a millionaire, you got to get a better cut. Right. Like, at that point, it's all on you. Like, just, I guess you, you, gotta, you can't just rock, walk rock, into a sports clips and be like, just do it. Hey, like, you know what they say? Rock what you got. I mean, <laughs> I, guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, yes. Well, let's let's do some oh. other stuff out of the way first. Oh, uh, thank got... you to everyone that came out to the bar crawl. Uh, we have officially done that already, so this is the first episode we'll be recording after it has happened. And I gotta say, it was very successful, and yes. it went way better than I think all of us expected it to. There was no problems. Everyone had a great time, from what it seemed like, and we raised over three hundred dollars the day of for our charity. So. I can't say thank you guys enough for every everyone that came out and supported and all the random people that we talked to who may be listening to this now. Thank you for supporting us now. Yeah, and a huge shout out also to the very accommodating places that we stopped. So Maxwell's, you guys were awesome, very accommodating. Uh, the Cedarburg Art Museum, actually. They had a beer garden yeah. that we went to instead of the Stilt House. Um, they were awesome. We had great conversations with the vendors there, even the people at the Java House. A little coffee shop. Talked to their owner. Met their owner. Um, they're a great little spot. Um, North Forty Eight. They were awesome. Rebellion was great. So thank you a ton. If anyone from those places are, are listening right now, really appreciate it. We all had a great time. Um, and again, just the entire fact that we were able to raise so much money, perspectively for how small our audience right. is. Um, is awesome. And also the GoFundMe is still live. So if you think it's too late to grab a shirt or too late to maybe donate, whatever, um, please go ahead. The link is still up. Yeah, I'd, I'd say we'll probably keep it up till like uh, end of the month or so, and then probably donate whatever we have at that point. But, yeah, you still got some time to donate if you want to, and we still have shirts left. So That's mm-hmm. pretty cool, too. Yeah, I still want a shirt. Oh, wait, I have one. <laughs> <laughs> Just have one for every day of the week. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was awesome, and I can't can't believe how great it went so mm-hmm. looking forward to doing more stuff like that in the future if we're able to because it was definitely a great time yeah. stressful leading up to it but mm-hmm. once it actually all came together totally worth it yeah that was a, that was a blast of a day all right well i think now we can get into trivia so mark you are eager mcbeaver over there and, well, and you were telling us that your trivia question is preposterous so i think it's you your turn to start us off it's just such a weird question. Okay. Like, okay. Wow. I feel like we, we every time you bring a trivia question, I feel like you preface it with some sort of... Well, this... let me just get into it. <laughs> Which of these people was a spy in World War One? I? <laughs> I don't like... Because this is... I didn't write this. Okay. <laughs> this person puts James Bond as their... Alpha. Well, Here's so the... that rules that one out. Okay. I could have been a movie. That... <laughs> yeah. uh, it two... was his brother, Jim Bond. <laughs> wow. B is Mata Hari. C is Benedict Arnold. And D is Serge Pekhanov. Did you say World War Two? World War One. One. Uno. One. Not Dos. Not soon to be Trace. Uno. I'm going to go with whatever D was. I'm going to go with whatever B was. Four bucks. It for is... D, D is for deer. It is B, actually. Mata Ooh. Hari was a spy for Germany during World War One. She was executed in 1917. Yikes. <laughs> Oof. So, 
Well, I knew one of us was going to be right. <laughs> right? <laughs> Divide and conquer. Pick no, the winner. I, I won't change my answer to Benedict Arnold. All right, so looks like I'm up. So my question for you two beautiful gentlemen. Whoa. That was, uh, and it came out a little strong. I'm blushing. <laughs> well, it's because for, was it from the shot that you're blushing? No, or? no, no. The oh, my kind words. 100%. So which American civilization is the source of the belief that the world would end or drastically change on December 21st, 2012? Was it A, the Inca, the B, the Mayans, oh. C, the Aztecs, or D, the Iroquois? Going Mayan. Yes, me as well. The correct, the correct answer is the Mayans. Whoa, it's like Ayo. we knew. Let's go. It's like we all lived through 2012. <laughs> I've seen the movie, okay? That still, movie is boo. Still, still thinking about the guy that like sold his life savings to buy a Lamborghini um, like the day before <laughs> the world didn't end. Like that sucks. Yeah, I mean, sick car though. Hey, he's got it, and no, probably, he doesn't anymore. Probably, probably living in it, if anything. Yeah, he wrecked it the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got like a speeding ticket or something. <laughs> oh, good times. All right, so. According according to tradition, who is supposed to invoke Bloody Mary? A, young men. B, single young women. C, married women wanting children. Or D, men or women seeking fame. C, definitely C. It's always the children. I think it's B. Uh, I have no idea. C was married women, so. With children? No, seeking Wanting children. children. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it's like women, you know, they can't give birth or something. Oh, I see what you mean. I don't actually know, but it sounds right. So you're going see? B for all single ladies. <laughs> all right. Correct answer is B, single young women. What? Evan went two for two. So the whole thing behind it was that we were supposed to, uh, when you invoke her, it was supposed to show you your future husband. But if you saw a skull in the mirror, that would mean that you were going to die before you got married. So, As far as, like, demonic or, like, paranormal bad things, that's not super up there. No. Like, oh, I saw a skull. I guess I'm never going to get married. I'd be, like, sick. No, I mean, like, maybe The scariest part is the commitment. Like, come on. (laughs) Are you kidding me? My commitment issues would be, like, oh, I can finally relax. (laughs) I have nothing to worry about anymore. They see the skull. They're just, like, fireworks. (laughs) (laughs) Strobe lights. You know, those, like, crappy uh, New Year's Eve, like, (laughs) pop-offs, you know? You go out on the streets and it's like, start spreading the news. Like, twirling on light poles and everything. Uh, we're, we're really sadistic. Or like not sadistic narcissistic. Yes. That's the right Can you imagine like doing all that? Like, doing the entire ritual? Seeing your husband like, really? Like, that's it? Are you sure? Like, can I get a do... Can I spin the wheel again? Right? <laughs> I actually want to talk to Bloody Maria. Um, yeah, can you get your sister? Like, yeah. is she around? Pick number three, my lord. Uh, number three. <laughs> holds up, holds up two fingers. Pick number three, my lord. <laughs> Princess Fiona. Very nice. And then it just like starts playing music. <laughs> uh, Phineas breaks the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that has to be a gems record for the amount of uh, trivia questions that I got right in one episode. I got one right. So that's good for me. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Well, we did have kind of a topic planned for today, which none of us really had time to do any research for. So that one's on me. No, you're all good. So instead, we decided that we're we're gonna go search the internet and find some some creepy internet stories and read some of those and scare your pants off. So, so that's that's the plan. We're kind of taking like a a relaxation week and just doing something fun here. So we all found some pretty creepy stories from like creepypasta.com and Reddit and various internet archives and. Each picked some of our favorites, and we're going to read those to you guys today. So, hope you guys are ready to get spooked. So, turn the lights down, get some beers, take a shot, get ready to have your pants scared off of your body, literally. <laughs> I love I love that sequence, that sequence of events. Like, grab a beer, and then, like, pants just boom. <laughs> You're, like, sitting down, and they just fly off. It's like those tearaway pants when you, like wear them oh. for warm-ups for basketball. <laughs> Those are so inconvenient, <laughs> right? Just like the heaviest buttons on the side. <laughs> How worth it is it to look really cool for 20 seconds, or two seconds, really? Yeah. Just to button those back. <laughs> and at the end of the game, it's like, these aren't even mine. These are a small. I'm a large. How did I... <laughs> Where's my pants? <laughs> All right, well, who would like to begin? Um. Or should I begin? Um... I can read my two. Well, well we can do one yeah, at a time. Let's do or, one yeah, one at a time just, and then switch off. <clears throat> so, you want me to start or do you want to start? Uh, I can start. So, this one is from creepypasta.com, and it was written by Christopher Maxim, and he requests that you put his subreddit link and donation link in the uh, description of whatever you use this for. So that will be in the episode description if you want to go look at his subreddit and find more of his creepy tales. But this is called Room Sitting. I was referred to a temp agency. I had no idea who I'd be working for or what the job would entail. I only knew that the pay was good. A week-long excursion at $725 a night. More than enough to pay off a couple credit card bills and a good chunk of next month's rent. For that price, I would have done almost anything. I only wish I knew at the time what I was getting myself into. When I arrived at the address, I was surprised. It was a large facility at the end of a dirt road in the woods, two towns over. A large sign outside read, Syntheticorp. It was a plain, white, three-story building, void of identifying markings. Its appearance gave me no clues to its purpose. I was probably needed to clean... Oh, sorry. The screen glitched on me. It was a plain white three-story building void of identifying markings. Its appearance gave me no clues to its purpose. Its location was even more baffling. Going off of the name alone, I had to assume it was some sort of biotech company. I was probably needed to clean up radioactive waste or something to that end. For what they were paying me, I would happily risk my health. Upon entering the building and meeting with the receptionist, I was directed to room 371 on the second floor, where I would wait for Al, my new boss. It was your standard office setting, albeit more quaint than usual. Red carpet, white walls, and no windows. Only six six desks in three rows of two, each with their own computer. At the back of the room was a large wall covered by a one-way mirror and opening with steps on either side of it. Inside was a single chair, desk, and landline phone. 
probably a place for supervisors to oversee productivity. Other than that, the room harbored no points of interest unless you fancied the waste bin and fern in the corner. An older gentleman opened the door to the room and came over to shake my hand, introducing himself as Al. He seemed to be in a rush, wasting no time in describing the task at hand. I was to stay in that very room from 8 p.m. until 6 a.m. the following day, every night, for a week. He left me his cell number and a laminated list of rules to be followed. He told me that he could not overstate the importance of following each and every one exactly as they were outlined. Once he was sure I understood the gravity of the situation, he left me to my first shift in peace, closing the door behind him. That was it? Really? Just stay in a room for 10 hours a night? I had no hmm. clue why I was being paid over $5,000 to room sit, but I learned some time ago never to look a gift horse in the mouth. I simply sat down in the overseer's room with a smile on my face and went over the list of rules. There were 10 in total, all of which left me a little more than confused. Number one, once eight o'clock rolls around, lock the door and do not leave the room for any reason until six. Plan your bathroom usage and meals accordingly. No food or drink items within the room. Two, do not use Hank's computer. It's closest to the exit. No one is ever to touch it under any circumstances, not even Hank. If the phone rings, answer it, but do not talk. No matter what the voice on the other end says, you are not to respond. Hang up after two minutes have passed. Do not let the janitor in. We don't have one. If anyone else comes to the door, let them in, but ignore them. Do not react whatsoever. When they leave, shut the door and lock it behind them. If the waste bin changes locations, place it in the back corner as soon as you notice. 7. If I stop by, only let me in if I know the password. 8. At 9.30 precisely, set each of the computer's home screens to different URLs except Hank's. Do not react to the images. Act normal. 9. If you see Harvey, feed him one of the treats from Lisa's desk, the one opposite Hank's. And 10. If there's an emergency, call my cell, but not after 10.05 p.m. Below the last rule was a final sentiment scribbled over the laminate and pen. No one has made it past three nights. Good luck. I was perplexed, wondering for a moment if Al was a lunatic and if that was the reason why no one else had lasted. Perhaps his quirks were too much for the previous candidates and they backed out, fearing for their safety at the hands of a fragile mind. I would, I would not be swayed so easily. Even if Al was crazy, I would happily take his money for what was shaping up to be a very simple job. At least that's what I thought. Day one was utterly boring. Nothing remarkable happened, definitely not anything to the extent of what Al's list would have me expect. At 9.30, I even changed the URLs on the computers if for no other reason than to feel somewhat useful. The next night, however, was a little different. Day two started normally as it did. I settled in for another long night, making sure to eat and empty my bladder before locking myself in. At 9.25, just as I was about to ready myself to change the home screens again, I saw it. The waste bin was right there at the top of the steps of the overseer's room. I certainly hadn't placed it there. I felt a small spike in my adrenaline before calming down with a smile. The waste bin. The list. It was all a joke at my expense. Al would be in the next room, waiting anxiously to see the look on my face. I raced out to the office floor. There was no one there. I walked over to the exit and shook the knob. It was still locked. Confused and a tinge scared, I swiftly picked up the waste bin and walked it back over to the corner of the room. I checked the time, 9.30. I started changing the URLs on all of the computers, hoping desperately that I had imagined what just occurred. After skipping Hank's desk, 
I typed in the last website on PC number six. I was about to pull away when some strange imagery manifested on the screen. It was surveillance footage of the room, the very room I was in. I saw me looking at the computer. I turned and looked up, but there was no camera. Upon looking back at the screen, I saw something terrifying. I watched as a copy of me stepped out from the overseer's room. It walked up behind me, grabbed a hard drive from one of the desks, and wound up to strike me in the back of the head. I quickly turned to shield myself. There was no one there. I turned back and the screen changed, displaying the website I had entered as normal. I raced back to the overseer's room and sat down, more than a bit frazzled. I contemplated walking out, but I steeled myself to continue. I was fine, after all. Maybe Al wasn't a lunatic, but he did, didn't seem the type of man to wish me any harm, not that I knew him all that well. Still, I hadn't sustained any damage. I was questioning my sanity, yes, but no bodily injuries had befallen me. Whatever was at play here seemed harmless so far. Knock, knock. There's a loud banging. Having just had the most horrifying experience of my life, I nearly jumped out of my skin. A voice then penetrated the door. It's the janitor, just here to clean up. Can you open the door? I recalled rule number four and denied him entry. You did good not letting him in. You followed the rule. Now you're fine. So long as you follow the rules, you'll be, si you'll be safe. It's as simple as that. You can see this through. Knock, knock. I jumped again. I really need to get in there and clean up. Open the door. I took a deep breath and peeled back my anxiety, successfully ignoring the janitor until he left. This was an accomplishment for me, and it actually felt pretty good, a challenge that I was able to best. Though I remained on the edge of my seat, the next few hours were uneventful. I even dozed off for a moment at one point. It wasn't until 2.30 a.m. that my next challenge would come. A multicolored cat jumped on the desk in front of me, complete with beautiful splotches of black and orange. I was startled, but it seemed to be friendly, brushing up against my arm. The name on its collar? Harvey. I knew what I had to do. I rummaged through Lisa's desk found the jar of treats and fed Harvey one, to which he purred in delight. To my astonishment, he then charged at the door, phasing right through it. My mouth was agape in awe. Once my initial bewilderment dissipated, it was replaced with satisfaction over another small victory. As strange as it may sound, I was beginning to like this job. Ring, ring. It was the landline. Remembering the rules, I removed it from the receiver, held it to my ear, making sure to keep an eye on the time. Hey, it's Al. I'm going to be stopping by pretty soon to do a little work. How's the job treating you so far? I remained silent. Hello? You know you can talk if it's me, right? I picked up the set of rules and looked them over again. There was nothing about Al calling. I didn't respond. This is no way to treat your employer. If you don't do anything, I'll have no choice but to fire you. Do you really want that? I stood my ground. Only 20 seconds to go. Fine. I'll see you soon to relieve you of your duty. I guess you couldn't even make it past night two. The two-minute mark came, and I hung up on him. I felt safe as another hour went by. Reflecting on the trials I faced thus far, I was bewildered, but determinate. I wasn't going to let the room cloud my judgment. I was in control. Knock, knock. It's Lisa. Can I come in? Though hesitant, I had to abide by rule five. I opened the door and a woman entered. You must be the new guy. What do you think of the place? I went back to my desk in the overseer's room and sat down, trying to my best to act casual. Lisa walked up to the glass, knowing I could see through it. Not very talkative, are you? Her eyes unnaturally darted around in all directions and her skin drooped a bit, almost as if it was willing to fall off the bone. I didn't answer. She didn't speak again. Instead, she stared at me through the glass for a long time, long enough to leave me feeling truly unsettled. Then she waltzed in and stopped at my side, raising her arm. 
I hoped she wouldn't notice that my breathing had become sporadic and labored. Then she violently swung down on the desk, creating a thunderous clap. I almost winced, but held my composure. After another awkward five minutes or so, she left. I ran to the door and locked it behind her. A few moments later, there was yet another knock. This time, it was a boy claiming to be searching for his father. I let him in and sat back down. He tried many times to ask for my help, but I was careful to ignore him just as I had with Lisa. At one point, however, I made the mistake of meeting his gaze. For an instant, in between blinks, his eyes became pitch black, void of all color. Startled, I nearly jolted back but was able to restrain myself. Like Lisa before him, the boy eventually left and I quickly locked the door behind him. Another rule followed. Other than the waste been moving around a few more times, nothing else happened that night. Before I knew it, it was time to go home. I heavily considered calling it quits, and may have even had a nightmare or two upon sleeping that day, but I found myself excited to continue, wondering what obstacles the room could throw at me next. Curiosity shouldn't have been enough to bring me back, but all rational trains of thought escaped me. The room had this pull that beckoned me to it. I was hopelessly compelled to return, powerless to its call. Any excuse would have sufficed. As such, I resumed my post the following night. Upon starting my shift, I was confident. I had dealt with quite a few absurdities up to this point and waited patiently for my next opportunity. A couple of hours went by with no trouble. No cat, no images on the computer, no phone calls, and no waste bin antics. Boredom was beginning to set in when a loud knocking broke the silence. There was no voice. I yelled out from the overseer's room. Who is it? I asked. There was a brief pause. It's me, Al. I picked up the list and reread rule number seven. What's the password? I heard him chuckle to himself. I never wrote down a password. He was right. There is no password written within the rule. It must have been him. I cautiously made my way to the door and opened it. Al was there to greet me with a smile. I sighed in relief. Let me guess, scared of the things that go bump in the night? He laughed at my clear, nervous disposition. You have no idea. He shut the door and set up some things at one of the computers. Say, why didn't you write down a password? I asked. He smiled again. It's a ploy. Anyone posing as me might try to come up with one, which would identify them as not being me. Understand? I see. Good thinking. He returned to his work at the computer. I didn't want to bother him, but I just had to know. What is this place anyway? Why do these things happen here? He turned to face me. It's best if you don't ask questions, especially ones that are far above your pay grade. I wasn't happy with my answer, but I knew it was all I would get out of him. I let him work in peace and sat back down in the overseer's room, watching through the one-way glass. That's when I realized something. The computer Al was using. It was Hank's. I double-checked the list to make sure. Yeah, that was definitely Hank's desk, and no one was to touch his computer. Didn't that apply to Al as well? I turned over the list on the off chance I might find some more information. That's when my heart sank. In large, bold print on the back of the laminated sheet was text that read, Password. Diner. Fuck. I grabbed my phone, reached for the scrap of paper with Al's number on it, and dialed it as fast as I could. There were a few tones, but he finally picked up. Hello, everything all right over there? Al, thank goodness I made a mistake. I thought he was you. I let him in, and now he's on Hank's computer. He let out a long sigh of disappointment. I watched as Al's copy turned from his computer and then stood up. Listen very carefully. Do not act suspicious in any way. You should be fine if he doesn't suspect anything. If you try to leave or call anyone else, it'll all be over, understand? Yes, I understand. Al's copy began walking to the overseer's room. My heart was beating faster than it ever had before. I'll be there soon, just don't panic. He hung up. I kept the phone in my ear as Al's copy approached, 
so as to pretend I was talking to my wife. I told you, hon, six o'clock. That's when I clock out. You don't have to wait up for me. You worry too much. Please get some rest. Al's copy was in the room with me now, staring. I held the phone in my chest and looked back at him. Everything okay? I asked. He continued to stare for a few long seconds. Can you uh, help me with something on the computer? I wondered if he could see my chest pounding. Sure, I just need to finish this phone call and I'll be there as soon as I can. He stared for another moment and then walked back to Hank's desk. Though panicked, I kept up appearances by continuing to pretend it on the phone. I even acted on an argument to lengthen the call. While doing this, I watched with bated breath as the knob gently turned and the door swung open. It was Al. I had never been so relieved in my life. He turned to the glass and put a finger to his mouth, gesturing for me to keep quiet. The clone was not yet privy to his arrival. Al snuck up behind his clone and grabbed him by the throat. The imposter struggled but eventually succumbed to his vicious grip. He fell to the floor, a lifeless hull, before disintegrating into the carpet. I ran to Al and thanked him. I also apologized profusely. No need to be sorry, this isn't the first thing to make it into the room, and I'm sure it won't be the last either. I'm just glad you're okay. He smiled. Speaking of which, mind shutting the door? Wouldn't want another copy of me stopping by. Of course. I walked over to the door and then realized something. I had left it unlocked after the copy came in. That's how Al was able to enter. Remembering the final rule, I slowly pulled out my phone and opened the call log. My most recent call connected at 10.18pm, 13 minutes past the deadline. I turned around to see Al standing right behind me. Al? What's the password? He grinned. What password? I ran out of there as fast as I could. The room still has a strange hold over me, but I will never go back. At least, I hope I won't. Uh. <laughs> wow, that was wow. fun. That was Room Sitting by Christopher Maxim. That's wow. awesome. That's a really good one. Yeah. Terrified me. That uh, is actually, like, I got chills multiple times. Yeah. That. Just it like, started over, had so many jokes to me. Yeah. And then it got kind of serious. But I'm just, I'm, like, I'm definitely just picturing, like, being in his shoes. Right. It's like sitting there. Because, like, I like, fr- got super confident, too. Like, oh, like, Two days pass, like this remains shit. Yeah, and it it starts off like so, like casual, like just mm-hmm. oh, a woman comes in, you like ignore her, and then the cat shows up, and the child shows up, but nothing happens, <clears throat> and then you see a guy. Get, I see a guy who think is your boss get strangled by another guy that you think is your boss, and yeah. then the first guy just disintegrates into the floor. Nope, I'm good. That's Were you guys wild. also both picturing like a? large white room oh yeah like kind of like cushiony a little bit yeah white it said i think it said at the beginning like red carpet white walls oh so. gotcha so exactly like yes. how the author yes. meant to do it wow he's good <laughs> all right well who would like to go next i'm also picturing al like glasses kind of looks like um hmm, kind of looks like who's the guy that wants pictures of spider-man oh <laughs> i cannot remember his name but i know who you're talking about Jameson, like the newspaper oh, guy, he just yeah. reminds me of like that character a little bit, not like the actual Jonah Jameson. Jonah yeah. Jameson. Thank yep. you, Mark. Um, just like the way that he looks, that's what I'm picturing. Yeah, definitely. Is it a is it a banquet beer? A banquet beer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Evan. I'm just it- gonna start talking. Like, do you ever have trouble like putting your horses in the corral? Have <laughs> <laughs> no. a banquet beer. <laughs> All right, Evan, time to terrify us with your spooky tales of woe and misery. Whoa. As well as misery. Whoa. So the 
first story that I have for all y'all. It is called The Tunnel. It's on creepypasta.com. And it was written by Kellen Kavanaugh. Heller? Kel- Kellen Heller. <laughs> the remix to Ignition. Hot and fresh out the kitchen. Mama rolling that body. Got every man in here. So, The Tunnel by Kellen Kavanaugh. Starts out with a poem. Hollow bodies, hollow bodies, knocking on my brain. They haunt my dreams with silent screams. They're driving me insane. Hollow bodies, hollow bodies, faceless figures in the rain. Their pinstripe suits and talon fingers drill my skull in endless pain. Rain pooled and collected along the cracked pavement leading to the tunnel under the train tracks. Unkempt lawns, half-stripped vehicles, and broken chain-link fences line each side of the street. The lights above cast an eerie shadow over the gloomy path, and the quiet atmosphere settles in the bones like a cold fog. Discarded needles, broken bottles, button baggies, and thrown-out condom wrappers bob in the potholes, scattered throughout the neighborhood. Why is a condom wrapper in a pothole? (laughs) The smell of urine creeps from the tunnel connecting Charles Street to Portis Street. It's 10.30 p.m., and Ian is stumbling home from the bar, feel that. His footsteps are shaky as his vision bounces between perfect clarity and dizzying double-sightedness. The street, which normally takes five minutes to walk down, now looks to be as long as an airport runway. The rain poured down with increasing I intensity. Like, I feel like airport runway is not more than five minutes to walk down either, so... No, those things are pretty long. That actually reminds me of a scene, I think it's like in Fast and Furious 6. Oh, where they're on it for like 45 minutes. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> where? how long is this runway? I think someone did like the actual math on it, and it was supposed to be like 30 or like 7 miles long or something like that. Just insanity. Those movies, can't believe they made it to a ninth one. The tenth one they're going to at least Mars, if not like Pluto. Yeah. So the street, which normally takes five minutes to walk down, now looks to be as long as an airport runway. The rain poured down with increasing intensity. It took ages to reach the stairs leading down to the tunnel. The lights cast a warm glow across his field of view. A car passes on the opposite end. Light flashes at the end of the barrel. There may be other ways home, safer routes. But this was familiar ground. The lights from the tunnel cast a warm glow across his field of view as Ian approached. The last couple weeks, Ian had been having trouble sleeping, haunted by a strange bout of night terrors. He found himself waking in the middle of the night with the feeling of being watched. The dreams were always the same. An alleyway in some unrecognizable city, pursued by a group of faceless predators, almost human. The first time Ian had this dream... There was only one, but every time the dream reoccurred, there would be more of these figures. He stopped counting after seven. Every dream ended the same. They would trap him in the alley on both sides, coring him in a flooded underground parking garage. Each time it seemed that they were about to reach out and grab him, but then he would wake up. Ian assumed the night terrors were brought about by stress. His work had been busier than usual lately and they were pitifully short-staffed. He worked for a landscaping company that was contracted out by one of those new gated communities going up on the nearby mountainside. The projects kept stacking up, and to make matters worse, it was being called the rainiest fall on record in the last 10 years. 
Since the boss didn't want Ian's crew rolling out sod in the rain, the focus this week was building retainer walls on each property. The work was brutal. Five of the staff members had been fired the, pri- the previous week, and they were getting high on their break time, and so the remaining seven were carrying the load, working overtime every day for the last two weeks. The job paid well, and nobody was in the position to give that up. So Ian and the rest of the crew resigned to grumbling about the decision whether Jack and the other two bosses, Jeremy and Tom, weren't in earshot. Meanwhile, the days grew darker with the hours, while the hours seemed to stretch on, and Ian's world became bleak and gray. Any thoughts so far? Part of the ship, part of the crew. <laughs> <laughs> the nightmares became more vivid. Sleep now harder to find. Staying awake all night would be less exhausting. Instead, Ian lay on his back, letting his mind jump from one wall to the other, from the daily confrontations at work to the next and the next, picking and chipping at the excess of his mind like a scab. Ian knew that he needed to calm down, find a way to sleep so he could perform at work the next day, and booze seemed to sedate the demons. Sometimes. Each night he'd go to the bar a short walk from home and have a plate of food and as many drinks as he could swallow. Once the walls were spinning and the bartender spoke in broken, fragmented sentences, that was when Ian would settle his tab and walk home. Tonight was a little bit different, almost celebratory. After work, excuse me, after work had wrapped up this evening, Tom announced to the team that they'd hired a couple young guys to help with the labor. Sure, they were new and would need to get used to the rhythm, but the work was simple enough and the promise of a lighter load meant earlier days for the crew. Ian didn't feel the need to be exceptionally drunk tonight, and instead just enjoyed a meal, a few drinks, and some small talk with the bartender. After downing his last cup of whiskey and leaving cash on the table, Ian got up and began his journey home. The light from the tunnel was getting brighter in Ian's vision as he approached the steps leading down. He noticed what appeared to be someone walking ahead of him through the tunnel. This individual was wearing a jean jacket. Jacob? It was me. With a red and black checkered hood and black skinny jeans. As Ian entered the tunnel, he noticed the figure was not moving, just standing in the middle of the path. The tunnel was quite small, so passing would be a tight squeeze. Oh, let me uh, just sneak past you. (laughs) (laughs) Is that in the script? A chill crept down Ian's spine, which he attributed to the weather, and pulled the zipper up on his jacket. Wanting to make his presence known, Ian called out, Hey, you good man? The figure offered no response. Ian tried again. Hello? Sir? The person still offered no response, and Ian began to feel that maybe he shouldn't be here. Without taking his eyes off the figure in front of him, Ian slowly backed away, carelessly stepping into a puddle with his left foot, soaking through his runners. The sound echoed through the tunnel, and Ian noticed the figure's shoulder twitch. There's an oppressive atmosphere here. The air in the tunnel seemed to thicken, and Ian found himself unable to move in any direction. The tunnel contorted, stretching stretching to infinity and shrinking back. The walls on either side curving inwards like oceanic waves whipped up by a nearby hurricane. Ian felt the urge to bolt in the opposite direction, but his feet remained planted as if chained to the floor by invisible restraints. The person turned to face him, and as he saw the details of the hooded figure, Ian's blood ran cold. 
Like the demons in his dreams, this creature had no discernible features. Was this an unfortunate prank, Ian thought to himself? Bargaining. Maybe it's just someone wearing a mask trying to scare people for some twisted laughs. The creature approached Ian as he struggled to pull himself away. The skin over the hooded being's face began to tear open in the spot where its mouth should have been. A small stream of blood pouring from the ripping skin. The figure's hands were still hidden in jacket pockets, but as it drew nearer, it lifted elbows and reached out. Ian watched in awe, no longer wondering because where fingers should have been, there were only long, talon-shaped claws. The demon brought its talons to where its face might have been and tore into itself, leaving a bleeding wound, a Cheshire cat-like grin with so many rows of teeth. Ian heard a chorus of wailing voices as the thing's mouth opened wide, echoing through the rounded walls of the tunnel. Help! Somebody! Someone fucking help me! Ian cried out desperately, still unable to move. Ian felt the energy drain from his body. The chills in his bones seemed to subside, almost warm, almost comforting. The hooded creature was leaning over him now. Drops of blood fell on his face, mixing with his own tears. The noise all around him, a rhythmic chant devoid of meaning. The screams of nameless victims. The demon's claws entered Ian's face. He felt the pressure, but no pain. Blood poured from the two puncture wounds. The creature continued to cradle the back of Ian's head, digging its talons into either side of his skull, while the other claw slashed at Ian's chest reaching straight for his heart, crushing and breaking it while still inside him. Was this a dream? Was this what dying felt like? Darkness drowned his vision, and he succumbed to the void. Newspapers were delivered the next morning, with a front-page column on the right-hand side detailing reports of paramedic presence at the tunnel on Hedgewick Street. Callers reported a young man screaming in the empty tunnel supposedly under the influence of what they assumed was methamphetamine. (laughs) Ambulances arrived on scene to find 32-year-old Ian Martin, catatonic, catatonic, excuse me. According to the toxicology report, Mr. Martin's blood alcohol was 0.12%. He was plenty drunk for sure, but not enough to explain the erratic erratic nature of his breakdown. There were no signs of physical injury during the interview at the psych ward The only words Ian could muster was a disturbing repetition, with eyes glued open, frozen in fear, mumbling the words, hollow, 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 hollow bodies, hollow bodies, tearing down my brain. Their silent screams still haunt my dreams. They've driven me insane. You know, this is a real story about the beauty standards of America because you can't have we can't all have hollow bodies. Come on, guys. It's an impossible standard to set. That's why it's tearing at his brain. At one point Evan said erratic behavior, but he like he was in between. I was gonna say, wait, did you say erratic or erotic? <laughs> <laughs> he was he started digging into Ian's face. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> That would have really changed the how the story was moving. <laughs> There's just like bum, some smooth. Bum, bum, There's, yeah. <laughs> There's, I can feel it now. Yeah. Picturing that like some like smooth jazz in the yeah. background. And then his talons went into his head. 
Oh, God. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Kinky. <laughs> Tell me who Kevin's next. <laughs> All right, Mark. Find out next weekend. Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> but anyway, thank you again for uh, Kellen Kavanaugh. And that was The Tunnel. Cool, cool. Well, I'm glad we made some jokes because this next one is not very funny. Oh, I'll find a way. <laughs> Life uh, uh, finds a way. <laughs> uh, Evan's shitty jokes. Um, uh, Finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> this one is named or titled Flinches by Decorative Gentleman. Oh, this is a Reddit one, right? Yeah, this is a Reddit one. On short, scary stories. All right. Supposedly longer ones. Yeah, like me and Evan just read. I know. I saw the uh, estimated time reading was six minutes. Like for the. <laughs> thing. Like, I'm, I'm like, need oh, a little more time than that. Oh, buddy. <laughs> mine, mine was like ten, I think. So I was like, mm-hmm. see if I can just fly through this. I think they mean like reading in your head. Yeah. You read obviously so much faster. So. Like, sorry, I creepy pasta. I like to enunciate a little bit. <laughs> Add some dramatic I'm trying flair. to sell it, all right? Yep. You're welcome, Kellen. I expect, like, half the royalties check. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, Mark, what do you got for us? See? Shitty jokes find the way. <laughs> oh, my. I'm sorry, babe. I just thought if I started work, <laughs> Evan, you need to stop. Oh, I don't know. It was funny. Like, I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> babe, come on, babe. babe I'm no, sorry, no, no. Yeah, babe. Babe, no, babe. <laughs> like the uh, the end of Hot Rod. <laughs> babe. Now, now I can't give this story the seriousness it deserves, Evan. All right. Oh, by the way, I'm starting with the female characters. So okay. This, this is as feminine as I'm willing to go. <laughs> okay. I could go high, bitch, but then we're going to lose everything. Babe, I'm sorry. Babe, no. <laughs> I just thought if I started working again, we could afford. So the money I make isn't good enough? Please, Bruce. I bought you those earrings, Helen. Maybe they're not good enough either. Mommy screams as Bruce rips an earring out of her ear. It isn't the first time. She had worn clip-ons for a while. But as with all the other things Bruce does to her, she forgot. Forgave. Now she's crying. Bruce is angry. He usually is. Mommy wanted to work as a nurse again, but a step out the door is a step away from Bruce, one that she might not turn back from. My little brother Ethan cowers beside the sofa. He knows not to help, not to comfort, not when Bruce is angry. Our real dad had tried to teach Ethan to fight when he was little. There was a bully at daycare. But dad died in a car accident before the lessons made a difference. A year or so later, Mommy invited a bully into our home. I stroke Ethan's hair, and for once, I think it does something. He looks back towards me, and I smile. My attempt at reassurance, he's shaking. I see the tears in his eyes and try to wipe a trickle from his cheek, but he flinches at my touch. I understand, Ethan. I've been there, too. Our real dad had been kind. He laughed a lot. He called me little Budika, his wild princess. Bruce destroyed all of the pictures Mommy had of Dad, except for one that she looks at when the new bruises are fresh. She screams as Bruce drags her across the floor to the kitchen by her long, pretty hair. You want to work, Helen? Work on dinner. He ends the conversation with a kick to her ribs and goes to the fridge for a beer. I go to her, wrap my arms around her. She flinches, like Ethan, 
looking up into empty space. She felt my touch. I died three years ago, but she felt me. I look over my shoulder at Bruce. He's huffing and clinking bottles. Three years ago, he had darkened my bedroom doorway after Mommy went to sleep. I said I'd tell. He got angry. Ethan found me the next morning, my head resting on the pillow that Bruce had held over my face. Mommy had cried, but that made Bruce angry too. The picture of us, Dad, Mommy, Ethan, and me, is the only one she managed to hide, the only tangible part of our happy family Bruce couldn't erase. He gets a beer and twists the cap. But I make for the cutting board. I wrap my fingers around a handle and feel the firmness of the wood. I turn, I thrust, I twist. Bruce flinches. Dad never taught me how to fight a bully on the playground, but Mommy taught me how to use a knife in the kitchen. Now she can teach Ethan to smile again. Yeah, revenge ghost. Oh my God. <laughs> that was that's a brutal wow, story, that is a dude. Very brutal one. Oof, not, not, dark. All go- not all ghosts are bad. No, that was that's a that's a dark story yeah. though. Oh my god, a lot of them on that thread are similar to like that one. So. Oh okay, There's a lot definitely of definitely hits you. Um, but wow, Whew. yeah, that'd be a Debbie Downer. But if they go to the cops, it's like well. They can't just say, like, a ghost must have this guy. <laughs> True. Yeah, now she's probably going to jail. Yeah, now it's like, oh, man. I mean, he got away with murdering her daughter, so. This or is true. Son, I don't know if it says if it was Yeah, a guy daughter, and, well, it implies the ghost murders him. Yeah. And, obviously, the dad, I guess, just died in a car crash, so. Anywho, Bruce, get out of here. What a bad guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Ooh, you got anything lighter for us? Nope. Oh. This one might be worse. Oh, <laughs> So this one's from r slash no sleep on Reddit, and it was posted by Calfred. And it's got a long title. I'm going to read half of it because the second half gives kind of gives the story away. So the first half is, just found out I can't have kids, and my mother is pissed. And the way that she writes this, she writes it as if this actually happened. So if this is possibly a true story so you're saying she's barren my mother was crying the doctor winces that's not the first word i would use but she is infertile yes she turns to me i'm sorry lorelei but this early menopause is irreversible you're not going to be able to have biological children when you're older my mother lets out another sob and clasps her hands over her mouth she is shaking I turned to her and hesitantly placed a gentle hand onto her back, rubbing smooth circles onto her shoulder blade with my thumb. It's going to be okay, I soothed. It's not the end of the world. She was making this a really big fucking deal. Yeah, it's not great, but come on, I'm 17 and not really too worried about my status as a childbearer when I'm older. And hey, not getting a period for the rest of my life sounds like a pretty sweet deal. So there were no tears from my eyes when I heard the news, but mom is wailing like I had just been diagnosed with a brain tumor. I make eye contact with the doctor and give a half-hearted shrug. She looks away. The only sound in the examination room is the cry of my mother. A few days later, and she's still not out of her funk. The door to her bedroom is shut and locked, and despite my persistent knocking, she refuses to answer, her endless cries wafting through the wood and reverberating through the rest of the house. 
I pour some boxed pasta into the pot and wince as the water splashes over and the stove hissing in protest. Sadie, my younger sister of four years, watches from the kitchen table. I'm sick of pasta, she snorts. I roll my eyes. You don't like it? Cook for yourself. Ever since the news, Mom hasn't done anything. Eating, showering, talking. It's so unlike her. She's always been the most resilient woman I've ever known. A super mom, taking on the role of both mother and father for Sadie and I after our dad passed away. A pang of guilt settles into my chest as a noticeably loud sob bounces through the kitchen. Sadie groans. All this over your broken uterus? I bark out a laugh. Yeah, I guess she's pissed I can't be an incubator for her grandkids. Over our buttered pasta, we listen as mom's sighs settle down and finally subside, which we assume means she fell in a listless sleep. That's been her routine the past three days. Cry, sleep, cry some more. I interrupt the silence. You done your homework yet? Sadie rolls her eyes. Yes, mom. Just looking out for you. You don't want to be a family disappointment, too. Her eyes soften at that. You're not a disappointment, Lori. It's not your... She is interrupted by a knock at the door. We are interrupted again by an even more surprising sound. Our mother's bed creaking as she bounds out of bed, through her door, and to the foyer, throwing open the front door with a flourish. I gaze from the kitchen. A man I have never seen before stands in the doorway, balding and gray, a satchel at his hip and round glasses on his face. Nathan, she says, relief evident in her voice. Please, come in. Nathan enters the house, and they both enter the kitchen where Sadie and I are finishing up our pasta. My mother looks awful. Heavy bags under her eyes, hair frazzled and thinning, eyes red and bloodshot, still leaking with tears. But she musters a smile for the first time in what seems like ages. Lori, Sadie, meet Nathan, a friend of mine. Um, hi, I respond, and Sadie follows suit. Would you like some pasta? Nathan chuckled humorlessly. No, thank you, dear. His voice immediately puts me on edge. It's nice to meet you, too. Your mother has told me wonderful things. Sadie was never one for subtleties. Mom, she says, who is this, and why is he here? Nathan laughs, and my mom blushes. Be polite. Girls, Nathan is here to help us. We're going to head to my office, all of us. I cocked my head, confused. We have never been allowed in Mom's office, ever. Strictly off-limits, always locked. I was told it was because there were important legal documents, Mom was a lawyer, that she didn't want our hands on. Your office? I repeat hesitantly. I glance at Sadie. Blatant confusion is written all over her face as well. Yes, my mother responds, now impatient. Come on now, we don't have time to waste. The four of us trek up the stairs to the second floor and head for the door. Mom disappears for a moment and returns with a key, rusted and silver, as if speckled with orange. She shoves the key in the lock and turns, opening the door with a solid creak. What the fuck, Sadie whispers? I don't even hear my mother reprimand her over the buzzing in my head. I've never seen anything like this. The walls are stained with crimson messages, which I pray are in paint rather than blood. He is coming. At dawn he will rise. Death to the non-believers. She who bears the sun will be blessed. Wooden totems litter the floor, pulled together with broken bones and filthy string. The skeleton of what looks like a sheep slumps in the corner like a toddler in timeout. A pentagram beats down from the ceiling like a sun. My mom sighs. Girls, you are meant to find this out later, but mitigating circumstances have arisen. Her eyes survey the room, filled with pride, as she straightens her posture and finally glances at my sister and I. Our family is 
special, howbeit unlucky. We have been blessed with the blood of Lucifer in every cell of our bodies, down a long lineage, and have lived to serve him as his children. And as such, we owe him the only gift that we as women can give, his vessel to earth, his child. Sorry, what? I stutter, eyes fixed on the sheep carcass. He needs a son. The death of your father was punishment for bearing two daughters. I fear his next punishment may be worse. She glances at me, tears filling her eyes once more. Lorelei, we were so close, until you were barren. Her gaze shifts to the pentagram on the ceiling once more. Perhaps this is a test of my loyalty. Sadie and I make eye contact and turn towards the door, and Nathan moves to block it, his frame taking up the doorway, arms crossed over his chest. I fear there is no time to waste, my mother continues. Who knows what the next few years will bring, which is why I brought Nathan to give Sadie a child before all hope is lost. Oh my gosh, this is a no-go. What? Sadie shrieks, and I feel my jaw drop. You're fucking insane, I scream. You're fucking crazy. This fucking creep is not going to rape my sister. Adrenaline rushing through my veins, I turn to where Nathan stands, hand reaching for his zipper as my mother approaches Sadie. No fucking way, I scream. The next moment seemed like a blur. Sadie begins to sob as my mother braces her hands on her shoulders. Nathan's fly goes down as he fumbles with the zipper, and my foot in Doc Martens collides straight with his groin as hard as I could, eliciting a groan as he crumples to the floor. Fucking pervert! I scream. As he withers, my eyes can't scan the floor for something, anything. Spying a large bone on the ground, what looks like a femur, I lug it into my arm, struggling against its weight. I whip back around at my mother, who's attempting to restrain a screaming Sadie, and before I swing the bone around, my head and smash it against her skull. She falls as well, and I waste no time grabbing Sadie's hand and rushing out the door. As we race down the stairs, my mother's straggled voice follows us. You won't get away, you fucking whores! We are all over the world, and we will serve our father! Sadie is sobbing as I throw the front door, and we run into the night. Destination nowhere. I have no fucking idea where to go from here, and I swear I feel something is watching us. I think we are monumentally screwed. Any advice? Uh, don't like any of that. No. Yeah, I hate all of that. Uh, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of knew where it was going, but man, that's freaking sucks, dude. That just, that's just, uh, just the fact that that probably happens to people in real life is just, mm, I don't like it. Uh, man, religious fervor, no matter what yeah. uh, form it takes, yeah. it's, uh, wow. <laughs> Definitely put I the hate that for mature rating on this episode. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow, that is next level terrible and not happy with that. That sucks. People are just going to be like, where the hell is the history? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that is very creepy. So my next story for all of you. Uh, it's another creepy pasta uh, story here, and it's called "The House on Kipling Street," written by Jake M. That's all we got. Just good old Jake M. Jake M. I like to take walks around my neighborhood. It's nice. Reminds me of while I was growing up. Every street of recollection. Every sign of memory. The town you grow up in changes as time goes on. Storefronts open and close. The schools get expanded. The rec centers remodeled. But the neighborhoods? The neighborhoods stay the same. It's almost like a perfect preservation of a memory. The street signs and turns lay static at their respective corners. Each house as it was the day it was built. 
Sure, they still age and become lived in, but their exteriors are excellent at keeping their secrets. My favorite time to take a walk, or excuse me, my favorite time to walk around is at dusk, I think. There's something soothing to it. Makes you remember playing outside with your neighbors and barely noticing as the sun would descend and the soft, warm glow of the house's interior lights would appear. One by one, we get called into our homes for dinner, the night drawing to a close. These days, I just look into the windows as the sun sets and wonder who actually lives there, if anybody ever did. Often there are signs that betray the house's secret of who lived there and when. Lawn fixtures, cars, seasonal decorations that get put up and taken down appropriately, despite the fact that you've never seen anybody actually doing so, they show up as if summoned. But that's it. Sometimes I stand there and think, what if somebody was very committed to a ruse of making it seem uninhabited? Excuse me. Sometimes I stand there and think, what if somebody was very committed to a ruse of making it seem inhabited? It wouldn't be hard to replicate the signs of life in a suburban home. Every night they go there, turn the lights on, and leave. On the holidays they decorate, and in the summers they put out their flags. Imagine it, you spend your whole life thinking your neighbor was just a shut-in, or had a weird schedule, and you go to knock on the door and... nothing. You peek inside and there's no furniture, no decor, no human clutter lying about, no personality that's flavored the space to reflect itself, yet the lights remain on. Simulating the presence of life in the same way, the flame in a jack-o'-lantern briefly animates its grin into something familiar, before you realize it's just hollow. The thought is very unnerving, but at that point, I end up getting too cold and walking back to my house for dinner. I suppose the alternative of having an empty house appear full is one that just appears empty, but I can't tell which one's eerier. On one of my walking routes, I pass a certain house, 10265 Kipling Street. For as long as I can remember, that house has been empty. As I pass it, I recall the same memory I always do, one where my childhood friends and I huddled by the mailbox the opposite side of the street and pitch our theories about the house being haunted. A secret government headquarters. The scene of a murder. You know, kid stuff. There's something more unfamiliar about truly empty houses. Have you ever gone to turn on a light in your home at nighttime and discovered the bulb was dead or broken? You know the feeling that comes with being in a dark room of a house at dusk, where you can see what little natural light you have left fading while the room gets dimmer. I think about that when I see empty houses and neighborhoods. I imagine the interior, empty and unlived and unused as it sits in the dark. It's a weird feeling. I like to think much in the same way my younger self did. That's way... That's... That it's a way for empty houses to lure people into them. To trap them into occupying the space and living in it. You go to experience the weird and empty feeling of an unlived house, but then you become the thing that lives there. It's silly to say, I know, but I think houses and people need each other. People need houses for obvious reasons, but houses need people in the sense that, when they stand empty, they become places where a strange, restless energy manifests. One day, I indulged this feeling and walked up to the house in the late afternoon. I gently placed my hand on the doorknob and tried it, and bizarrely enough, it was unlocked. I walked in, tentatively of course, unsure if the house actually belonged to somebody, and I had just been unaware of it all these years. The foyer stood empty, 
just as I had seen it through curiously peeking the windows as both a child and adult. No furniture, no wall decorations, a thin layer of dust settled upon the shelves. I lightly strode across the wood floor, looking about the interior and taking it in. I entered what I was, excuse me, I entered what I supposed was a living room, although I briefly thought about it, if one could call it that, if nobody lives there. That just becomes a semantics issue, though. At that point, I decided I should walk upstairs, and so I did. At the top, it split into two hallways, and I took the one to the west. As I walked through the blank corridor, I thought about what houses that were lived in must be like when all the inhabitants leave. A similar feeling to this, probably, but slightly more familiar. The house just feels lonely, temporarily deprived of its light. But the feeling of loneliness is understood, and the feeling this house in particular projected was nothing of the sort. I cautiously entered the furthest door to the right and found myself in what I assumed was a bedroom. Again, as with the rest of the house, finished but unlived. The walls painted a neutral tone. The sun was beginning to fall in the sky, the orange light filtering through thin lines of clouds on the horizon, gently washing the room with a warm tinge. I sat... (laughs) (laughs) I sat... The banquet beer. <laughs> Holy cow. I haven't talked this much in two years. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I am the sun. <laughs> oh, man. The sun was beginning to fall in the sky, the orange light filtering through thin lines of clouds on the horizon. Gently washing the room with a warm tinge, I sat down on the carpet and looked out at the sky. I closed my eyes and recalled my childhood memories again, pretending it was my house, my room I was sitting in. For a moment, it felt familiar, less like a house and more like a home. I opened them back up and and felt evaporated. The sun began to dip behind the mountains, and the light faded from the room, becoming even dimmer. How long had I been sitting there? felt like mere moments, but was clearly longer. I stood up and gazed out the window once more watching the blinking lights of a distant cell tower come into view as it grew darker. The silhouetted frames of construction cranes loomed in the twilight. The structures once responsible for this home, and surely more. As the room continued to shift into blackness, the desire to stay... dissipate... what? As the room continued to shift into blackness, the desire to stay dissipated. I exited the bedroom and noticed something odd. The hallway in front of me seemed much longer than I had first thought the turn in the corridor that would lead me to the stairs being much further away. There was some residual light remaining from the sunset, casting a dim gray wash over the space, as if the color were drained out of the walls and floors. I felt the beginnings of a knot forming in my throat. Walking down the hall, I became disoriented, the walls and doors seeming to twist and bend in my periphery, an oppressive, creeping weight creating a pit in my stomach as I passed through the house. Rounding the corner led me to the top of the stairway, overlooking the darkening foyer. The pit in my stomach began trying to tug my lungs and heart down with it. My legs welded to the floor. I towered at the top of the stairs, watching the finale of my shadow stretch across the hardwood below as night crept in from the windows. From the depths of my mind, a familiar feeling was dredged up. One of the sources panic and fear. The same fear that compelled you to dash up from the basement after shutting off all the lights as a child. That leaves you bolting awake, screaming after a nightmare. I bounded down the staircase as if a jolt of electricity 
unstuck my legs, keen on making it to the front door to escape. But from what I did not know, the heaviness in my abdomen increased with every second I remained, as if the approaching night was filling up my lungs, weighing my body down, suffocating me in murk and dimness. I clasped my hands on the doorknob in panic, and before I could twist it open and flee, I heard the tell-tale click of a lock being slid into, into place. I fumbled to unlock the door before the sun fully set, hysterically mumbling to myself. Seconds of light remained, then mere moments, until I found myself completely engulfed in darkness, unable to open the door and escape. I felt a bead of ice-cold sweat trickle down my neck. I was truly trapped. Trapped by my fear, by the house itself. Trapped in eternal obfuscation and permanence. I stood in the empty home amongst the pitch blackness, the lines of the floors and walls suddenly shifting and bending in a haze of night, keen to change according to some unseen force's whim. I suppose I had made a mistake. I suppose that my childhood self had been right, that I had been foolishly fallen to a house's trap. For the brief moment, I had let myself live in the house and had claimed ownership of me as its resident. I felt its grip tug and grab like so many hands at my limbs, an inky miasma clouding my train of thoughts, pinning me in place. It had never wanted me to leave. After all, I was its first tenant, and I'd just moved in. In the moments before I had let my mind slip from me, I wondered if whoever would pass by the home now would ever feel what I felt. It could no longer carry the air it once did, because the house on Kipling Street had finally been lived in. Yikes. Again. Hey, you got a free home. Yeah. <laughs> Housing market's in crazy. In today's market? Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> oh, you just got to walk in and get locked in there. Yep. It feels like a less, like funny do you remember that disney movie monster the, house monster house yes i don't think yeah. it's a disney movie but it it that movie's kind of scary yeah honestly <laughs> but yeah thank you again jake m on creepypasta shout out all right mark okay let's see let's see what you got this next one is from malia girl 1314 15 no okay it's, it's not the 14 <laughs> uh but it's titled, I Should Have Read the Reviews. Oh. Babe. No, okay. The banquet bear. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> that is the title of this <laughs> Yes. Just honestly put that and just let the... Gems the of Horror 2, The Banquet the, Bear. <laughs> the Banquet Bear. <laughs> <clears throat> My girlfriend moved out three weeks ago. My cat... Rock was really close to her, and now she's gone. I can tell he's a bit lonely. I have, what is it now? That's reminds me of I spilled spot remover on my dog. Now, <laughs> now he's, he's gone. gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's like such a deep cut. Like seven people are going to know what that means. Sorry, okay. sorry to interrupt. I can tell he's a bit lonely, especially when I'm at work. I came home a few times to my curtains ripped up or all the toilet paper in shreds. The last straw was when I came home after working late to find he had clawed a hole the size of a dinner plate into the side of the sofa. I decided I had to do something. I tried different toys, even catnip, 
even get <laughs> <laughs> getting this that's, cat high as fuck that's step one <laughs> but nothing worked one night while browsing amazon i saw a pet camera it's a tiny camera that records your pet on a live feed so you can monitor their behavior while you're away <laughs> sorry i just didn't think pet camera needed to be broken down <laughs> right. but it's like yeah i got the gist of it <laughs> <laughs> okay <clears throat> it's just the cat like Reaching in the liquor cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of other cats over, just like yep. smoking catnip. And they're like filling up the liquor bottle like to where it was. <laughs> with like with water. water. <laughs> Parents had a lot of watered-down vodka back in the day. It even has an audio function so you can talk to them. Sounded silly, but hey, I love my fury. Fury. <laughs> my furry dude. <laughs> I love my fury. <laughs> Nick I just love getting absolutely <laughs> enraged when I get home and my cat tore up my curtains. <laughs> right, that's pretty funny. I love my furry dude, so I bought it. I got overnight shipping and installed it immediately. I decided to set it up in my bedroom, as that was where Rook, Rook dwelled most. My first day at work, I think I checked that camera 30 times. When I spoke into the microphone, Ruck seemed to be happier, and I noticed there was no destruction around the house either. By day four, I figured I'd solved the problem with Ruck. That leads me to right now. About 30 minutes ago, I climbed in bed, and Ruck, ready to close my eyes, or with Ruck, sorry, ready to close my eyes, when my phone buzzed. A notification from the pet cam. I almost ignored it. Sure, I just triggered the thing, but I opened it anyway. What I saw made my grip tighten on the phone. Instead of a video of myself in bed, I saw a man, tall, gangly with pale skin and large eyes. He was moving into my room with exaggerated steps, like a sneaking cartoon character. He got right up to the lens so close I could almost smell his rotten breath, and he smiled. I immediately paused the video, terrified. I looked at the spot where the man should have been standing, but there was no one there. I went on Amazon and found the pet cam and read the reviews, hoping for some weird glitch. It had to be a joke, right? The first few dozen reviews were pretty standard, but it was the last that caused me to bolt upright. The customer complained that the camera was on a time delay, sometimes as much as 15 minutes. I went back to the video and pressed play with shaking fingers. I watched in horror as the man slithered underneath my bed, giving the camera a wink before disappearing in the darkness. Then I saw myself enter the room and climb in bed before the video ended. Now I'm sitting in bed, knowing he's under it. I could call the police, but I doubt I'd have time. So please, do yourself a favor and read the reviews. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I took a nap before this, so I don't have to sleep tonight. (laughs) That one's actually awesome. Yeah, I like that one a lot. All right, I have one more that I'm going to read just in case I decide to take out the second one that I read and then replace it with this because that one's kind of intense. So this one's also from our short scary stories and it's by jtb685 
The title is Only a Mother. Eleven days after my mom went missing, I saw her through the sliding glass door at the back of the house. I drifted off on the lounge, my sleeping patterns had been all over the place since her sudden disappearance, and sat bolt upright when she appeared. It was dark outside, but I could just about make out her face. She was standing at the far end of the yard, smiling. She always had a warm smile. After rubbing my eyes a few times, she vanished, and I brushed it off as my imagination. Clearly, the insomnia was taking its toll. The following night, after a long, exhausting day of thanking search and rescue volunteers, I was woken by the sound of someone tapping against the glass door downstairs. It was her again, but this time I couldn't have, it couldn't have been a dream. Everything felt too real. Maybe it was some sort of intense, grief-induced hallucination? As I approached the door, she retreated into the yard until only her face was visible. When I clicked on the outside lights, she vanished and I was standing alone. On the third night, she slammed the glass with so much force I thought it might break. When I went downstairs to greet her, all I could see was her face and a pale hand, gesturing for me to open the door. I did. Then she beckoned me forward, smiling the whole time. Was it really her? Maybe she died. As much as I didn't want to believe it, that scenario was looking more and more likely with each passing day, and she'd come back to see me one last time before moving on. It could have been my last chance to say goodbye, to hug her, and tell her much, how much I loved her. I took a single step out into the yard, but then my subconscious suddenly jarred me alert. I froze. Something felt wrong, although my brain hadn't quite figured out what it was yet. Then it hit me. Her eyes. They were different somehow. Too cold, I think. I stepped back and pulled the door shut, shaking my head. Then I retreated into the hall, went back upstairs, and climbed into bed. The police came next morning, saying they needed me to come in as soon as possible. They'd found a body in the woods three miles from Mom's home and needed help identifying it. They took me to a dim morgue where a coroner gave me a warning. She was out there for some time, he said. The animals got at her. As he pulled open the locker, a chill ran along my spine. I could only identify the corpse by the build and clothing because at the front of the head there was nothing ex but except exposed skull. Something, or someone, had torn off my mom's face. Ew. <laughs> uh. <laughs> also, when you said, like, the guy who took her out there and, like, she, well, I don't know what he said, like, could have been animals or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was waiting for him to be like, here, try this. A banquet. Banquet bear. <laughs> <laughs> we heard she had too many of these. <laughs> you seem kind of There's just a bunch of banquet beers. We found her. We found this on her person. It's just a 12 pack. <laughs> that explains it. That explains <laughs> it. That'll do it. <laughs> Creepy stories. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, very yep. scary. So, yeah, I hope you guys got spooked. I've been spooked. I've been sp spocked. <laughs> Wait, spunked? Spunked. Oh, no, ew, gross. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah I hope always fun. I hope you guys out there enjoyed our our spooky tales. Uh, we'll we'll I'll put a trigger warning at the beginning of this because there's. Definitely stuff in here that I'm sure some people yeah. will not be comfortable listening to. Yeah, so. right. But hope you guys like those scary tales nonetheless. Uh, if you want to go read some more of these, go to the those Reddit threads or go on creepypasta.com and find some of your, your own. Google search one that says, who the hell is ordering pizza to my house at 3 a.m.? <laughs> <laughs>
But yeah, we'll probably do this again sometime. And yeah. we also want to read some more of your guys' stories. So please do send those in. To, uh, send them to gemsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I've actually been working on writing like a, a short horror novel. So maybe if Whoa. if I get somewhere on that, I can maybe throw in some bonus episodes once in a while where I'll, I'll read that. A little bit at a time. Hey, but. Mark, do uh, do my eyes deceive me? Or is that uh, the, uh, Edgar Allan Poe over there? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, Daddy, I can't see real well. Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't think it, it might be. <laughs> but yeah, maybe you'll get some of that, but we'll we'll see. Uh, Evie, you want to plug our socials so that people can get in touch with us there? Yes, please follow us at Gems of History Podcast um, on Twitter and Instagram. The Instagram handle is a little bit weird, so it's Gems underscore History underscore wait gem, Gems underscore of underscore History underscore Podcast, which that's just the most annoying thing of all time. Yeah. So please feel free to follow us. Um, we post some pretty, you know, cool stuff. Um, we post every week for every episodes, week for so. episodes. You know, post a great picture of the bar crawl. Um, also follow us on Twitter, Gems of History, Gems of History Podcast. Uh, you can follow myself at Whatevskis on Twitter, at Jacob, at Shop and Go, Shop underscore Go. Shop. Yeah, it's just Shop, letter N, Go, with underscores in between. Gotcha. And maybe I can get it this time, at Mark underscore Stein B 34. No, no numbers. Just Mark underscore stein v shoot oh it's good well you can find us all there um feel free to follow us we're probably gonna get like some funny bucks tweets at the end of tonight uh but yeah and also gofundme still live we actually had a huge donation while we were recording i uh, didn't want to shout out it while jake was telling his story um but uh yeah thank you again for everyone that has donated and i don't know love you guys yeah definitely Thanks, everybody. So we will be back next week. And going forward, Mark might be absent a few times just because he's got some busy schedules coming up for the next few months. So Life catches up to the best of us. So yeah. we, we'll, we'll probably have a rotating series of guests, or Evan and I might just take an episode, just the two of us. But Mark will be here when he has time, and we might take a week off here and there if all of us are busy because I know we've all got a lot going on during the summer. But mm-hmm. But it's well, a summer man. Yeah, well, hopefully, we'll, vote for summer. <laughs> vote for summer. We'll be bringing you episodes as we can. So if if we don't post one for a week, we'll be back the next week. So don't worry too much. We're not going anywhere. But yeah, thank you everyone for listening, and we will talk to you soon. See ya. Box and five.